What now for Greece? This is Industry Focus. Hi everyone, Christine Harges here for The Motley Fool, and you're listening to Industry Focus Financials, where I am pleased to welcome back our senior banking specialist, John Maxfield. Hope everyone had a great relaxing weekend, and for all our American listeners, hope you had a fantastic Independence Day. Hope you got out there to celebrate and watch some fireworks, enjoy some good barbecue. In the spirit of these summer gatherings, we're going to do somewhat of a potluck episode today, where we've got a couple different topics that we want to talk about. We're going to chat a little bit about community banks partnering with Lending Club and look ahead to earnings season that uh, will come up later in the episode. But the first thing that I'm bringing to the table is a follow-up from our last industry-focused financials episode where we talked about the Greek financial crisis. John, fill us in. What's new here since we spoke last week? So the, the big news right now is that the Greek voters went to, went to the polls and they voted against further austerity measures. Um, in terms of whether or not Greece would go to, the, go to the table and continue to negotiate on the bailout. So that basically puts Greece in a situation where either um, the other European creditors will step up to the plate and go back to negotiations, um, or secondarily, and this seems to, I mean, you know, it's, it's impossible to predict the future and what's going to happen, but the second option um, seems to be most likely, and that consists of potentially Greece leaving the Eurozone and kind of going out on its own. So if that were to happen, this is a question of opinion, but do you think that that would represent a failure of the Eurozone? Well, that's a great question. I mean, the obvious answer, or or I guess not the obvious answer, but kind of the the at first blush answer is that, yes, you know, this would represent a failure of the Eurozone. Because you know, if Greece leaves, then it's you know, it's, it's the first part potentially of, of a fracture of that union. However, I think if you look at it in a greater historical context, I think that it's probably um, actually evidence of how the eurozone is actually working. Um, Seventy years ago, right? What happened when there were disagreements? I mean, you had invasions, you had an, an enormous war. Uh, Twenty years before that, or thirty years before that, rather, you had a war in the 1870s. You had war between France and Germany. Before that, you had the Thirty Years' War, the Napoleonic Wars, the Hundred Years' War. So the fact that there's a disagreement and and that they are settling it in this way, as opposed to driving tanks across borders, I, I would personally say that that is that is definitely an improvement. So we'll take potential global financial meltdown over tanks. That's right. And it, and it remains to be seen, of course, whether or not there will be a, a meltdown. I mean, let's, let's keep in mind that that Russia is in the midst of a severe economic downturn right now, and, and that hasn't caused really that much um, volatility in, in financial markets around the world right now. So, so it really remains to be seen, quite frankly, what the impact will be of, of, of Greece if it does, in fact, leave the Union. What sort of ripples have we seen already in markets? Well, everybody's saying that it's that Greece's potential exit is priced in, and if you look at the S and P five hundred today, I mean, you know, this is after uh, this is after that referendum vote in Greece, and the S and P five hundred is only marginally down. Let's see what exactly what it's down. It's it's down point. It's down by twenty seven percentage or twenty seven basis points, so point two seven percent. So it's it's pretty it's a it's a pretty normal day in the markets. Huh, very nice. I mean, I guess um, on your one hand, you do have Greek is really kind of small, uh, Greece is, but on the other hand, you I mean it could be indicative of of larger things. But uh, yeah, so and let me let me let let me just add one more point about the Greece thing. Um, and we, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier today. But you know, when you think about 
the situation that Greece is in right now, it has massive unemployment. I think it's around 20% unemployment. I mean, the, the economy is contracted by, I think, a quarter in real terms, so 25% in real terms. I mean, you're talking a, a, a large-scale economic, um, and I think it's fair to call it a, a depression, along the same lines of what the United States experienced in the 1930s. And so when you look at what the United States did in the 1930s, which was, you know, we you know, we went through the New Deal, we had these huge public works projects, we did all of these different things, increasing the spending to get us out of this, whereas Greece is being asked to effectively do the exact opposite, it certainly um, leads one to be sympathetic to, to Greece's plight right now, at least in my opinion. So do you think that the people are probably smart to vote now? Well, and that's another question altogether, because you have all these other, you have all these other situations because you don't, you know, if Greece leaves, they're going to have significant inflation. I, I can't imagine a situation where Greece going off the euro wouldn't, you know, would not cause, you know, considerable inflation. Um, so you have that element. But what it what it shows is that Greece has been put into a really tough and and probably a not necessarily a fair situation, right? In terms of all of this. So continuing along the lines of currency, um, if you guys have listened to this show regularly enough, and John, I know you know this, I'm a little bit of a Bitcoin fanatic. So one of my favorite elements of this story to keep tabs on is the involvement of digital currency in the situation. Could that come in and save the day? So Greeks can't get euro in a meaningful quality out of ATMs right now. The daily withdrawal limit, I believe, is still at 60 euro. And they can't purchase Bitcoin with bank transfers either because of a freeze on these transactions. But it turns out that there's this Bitcoin competitor called Trestor Foundation. And they're going to step in with their Bitcoin rival currency called Tress. And they will extend up to 2,000 euro worth of Tress to Greeks that want to get it. And in return, all they ask of you is that you come into one of their three locations and you sign a note promising to pay it back once, uh, pay it back in euro once banks in the country reopen. I just I, don't know, I I find this whole situation absolutely fascinating. One of the interesting things about it is that trusts are pegged to the U.S. dollar, which does mean that if the euro were to tank, the value of this currency would likely go up. And even more interestingly, the Trustor Foundation reported that merchants are actually beginning to accept trust directly, taking euro out of the equation entirely. What do you think about the, all that, John? I don't even know. I, I wouldn't even know where to begin, Christine. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> crazy. Know, I, I saw it, this story and I was like, no way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What I, to be honest with you, I don't know if that would be better or worse than a highly inflated Greek uh, drachma <laughs> because I, I just don't know what you would do with that that currency. But you know, <laughs> I don't think man, anyone I'm, really I'm, does. I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. Well, still lots to talk about. So let's move on. Uh, last week, you sent me an article on community banks partnering with Lending Club. So I thought that would be worth sharing with our listeners. Uh, first off, what, what's Lending Club all about? Let's have a little bit of background. Lending Club is a lending marketplace. So as opposed to a bank where you go to the bank and you get a loan and the bank makes a loan and it puts that loan on its book, Lending Club, what it does is it, it, it introduces a third party. So it puts investors who are looking for yield together with people looking for money to borrow. So Lending Club is kind of a liaison in, in, in that respect. Um, and so what community banks are doing is they're going to Lending Club and they're saying, look, Lending Club, why don't you originate loans and then we will buy them from you and put those onto our books. So what's the appeal of taking that route instead of just offering the loans directly? The appeal to this route is that you, by outsourcing your loan origination process, or not all of it, but a certain portion of it, um, you are saving 
on expenses because you'd have to be spending money to originate those loans. Uh, while the, but, but at the same time, you're not um, foregoing the opportunity to create assets and invest in assets. So you're kind of getting the best of both worlds, if you will. What's the downside then? Is it riskier? Well, the downside, and, and this is something that, you know, it, it remains, we don't know for sure until all this plays out, of course, just like anything else, right? But the downside, if you look at it from a historical perspective, is that banks have traditionally not infrequently gotten into trouble by outsourcing um, their credit origination process. You know, if you look at the financial crisis, you look at the big banks and the mortgages that they got into trouble with, a lot of those were created by, they originated by uh, mortgage brokers that then sold the loans to the bank. And it wasn't, it wasn't the, in many cases, it wasn't the banks themselves that were originating those, those loans that turned toxic. Um, so you have that situation. Then you have, if you go back, you know, again, maybe another 20 years to the mid-1980s when you had uh, this boom in the oil patch states, we had a small bank in Oklahoma named Penn Square Bank that was originating loans to oil producers and service providers and then selling those loans to larger banks like Continental Illinois, Bank of America, Sea First Bank up in, up in Washington, and Chase Manhattan in New York. But then all those loans went south. So the problem, the potential problem is that when you outsource your credit origination process, you don't have the same type of control over the quality of the assets that are produced out of it. And the other side of that equation is that Lending Club, they're pretty new too, right? The banks have got to be more experienced at it. That's exactly right. So you have banks that, I mean, a lot of our banks that go back 150 years, if, if not more. And so they've seen the credit cycle up and down multiple, multiple times. They understand that you have to go into this process with humility, they understand that a certain portion of loans will always, you know, go bad regardless of how, how well how well you do your your credit process. Um, so banks banks are just better at the, that whole credit origination process. They're not perfect by the stretch of the imagination, but they're better. Whereas lending club is coming in, they're brand new. They're really confident in their abilities and their ability to use computers and machine learning and stuff like that. So it just remains to be seen whether or not that confidence, um, or in my position, I think it's probably overconfidence will translate into higher levels of loan losses um, than what would be experienced by banks if they originated them themselves. And then from there, we'll have to keep an eye out and see if there are other community banks that might take this same sort of strategy. Okay, um, before we sign off, I wanted to point out that earnings are going to start coming out next Tuesday, July 14th, kicking off with Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan on that day, and then Bank of America, Citigroup, and more to follow. John, what do you expect to see here? Just kind of the same thing we've been seeing uh, for the past couple of years. You know, interest rates are still going to be uh, compressing revenue. We're going to see expenses from compliance and regulatory stuff that are still still going to be higher. You're going to see your banks like Wells Fargo and J.P. Morgan probably getting double-digit returns on equity, 10, 12, 14 percent. Your Bank of America, your city groups are still going to be, my guess is, you know, in that four, five, or less percent. Um, in terms of return on equity. So just kind of the same thing. You know, we're just going to want to watch for, you know, how it, direction of expenses, direction of revenue, um, and also um, we're going to want to watch out for if there is any guidance in terms of, you know, new legal cases, new investigations, things like that, that could take big chunks out of revenue in the future. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure we'll talk about all those updates and more once they come out. So stay tuned for future episodes. Folks, there you have it for today. Lots of interesting stuff to think about and keep looking out for more news on. John, thanks so much for being here, and we'll talk to you all next week. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. 